The following episode contains major plot points that may spoil movies for some viewers. A spoiler warning is now in effect. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going? And tonight we will be talking about one of the movies we saw about a month or so ago. Spiral. Yeah. The Book of Saw. So before we moved, we did go through most of the Saw franchise, and we covered the from the first Saw film all the way up to Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were wrapping up that part of the franchise, we hadn't watched Spiral yet. Thankfully, it is available on Hulu at this time. I know it's going to change probably in the next month or so. So we got a chance to watch it at home. And I know Saw is not your favorite franchise, mm-hmm. Colin, but what were your first thoughts about the movie in, in its initial announcement? I was just like, why? <laughs> why are they doing this? You don't. It's like Fast and the Furious. You don't have to make any more. But I just feel like that's what they do with franchises. You know, they just feel like when you're done with the story, you're not. They, you think you're done with the story, but you're not fully done. And besides, they can make other things with it, so they can still cash cow it. And I feel like that's what they're doing with this series. Yeah, and the sort of nice thing about this one is that it's fairly recent. So it was released in twenty twenty one. So it's a couple of years old. It's fairly recent, and I say that because while you and I have had these conversations off record, but... I don't know. I just thought it was weird that Danny Glover was in the first movie because it was such a low-budget film, and then you have, like, a legend like that. Mm-hmm. And then now with this film, you have Chris Rock, and sure, now it's a bigger franchise because of that, but you got Chris Rock. It just seems like... Out of the ordinary, just like how Danny Glover was out of the ordinary to be in this low-budget horror movie. Well, like Danny Glover, he also played cop roles in prior movies. Yeah. So did Chris Rock. Yeah, well, they both were actually in, in Lethal Weapon 4 together. Yeah, which makes sense. But when we get into more of like the roles he played... As opposed to just the character role, mm-hmm. it, it might hope maybe we'll like change your perspective a little bit. Mm. But before we jump into Spiral, I did want to talk about a couple other things you and I have watched recently that are sort of new. The other night we watched the Boulet Brothers Halfway to Halloween special. On oh Shutter. yeah! Oh yeah! That what was, did you think of that? That was quite entertaining. I feel yeah. like. It just reminded me of all the Halloween specials I grew up watching as a kid. So it's kind of funny how they add that little bit of innocence to it, even though it's not really so innocent. But it's just a fun little Halloween special. Yep. And they like take all these influences and big stars and like kind of put them in this special. Right. Like you had Felicia from uh, Sleepaway. Who is it? Her name is Felissa Rose. Felissa Rose from She yeah. was in the original Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. We also had Matthew Lillard from the Scream franchise. We had Barbara Crampton. Yeah. And a bunch of others that were just really big names in horror. Yeah. And then, of course, the Boulay Brothers hosting the event, yeah. which I thought was really cool. It's just fun. And it should be fun. Yeah. And that's what I get from, you know, watching this special, so. Yeah. And I also want to talk a little bit about... This other movie we watched on Shudder. I think it's called Kids vs. Aliens. Or yeah. is it Aliens vs. Kids? Uh, Kids vs. Aliens. Yeah, that's also on Shudder. Which, that was actually a... Um, it was from VHS. It was basically one of their skits or some shit like that. Or oh, like so, stories. So it originated from one of the VHS short stories yeah. of that franchise. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how Art the Clown was originated from the All Hallows Eve movies. and Exactly. Then 
spinned off into Terrifier. Uh-huh. That's interesting. I I enjoyed it for what it was, though. I did, too. It was, um... <clears throat> I don't know. It's just I never thought I would hate a character so much in that movie, but in in any movie, the the freaking bully that was trying to get with the sister, he was just a complete asshole. I, yeah, I think what, his name was Billy. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but yeah, you're right. There is a common trope with the name associated with Billy. It's like let's have the bully be named Billy I every mean, time. I definitely want to do a more deep dive review because it was fun to watch for the most part. Yeah. And I think that you even said too that they're coming out with a sequel. I've heard that they are actually planning to come out with more okay. than one sequel. Alright. Which that is interesting. And the the ending ending of it was seemed very questionable. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to see more of it, so that's why I'm excited. Were there any other movies that we have watched recently that were sort of like new to us? We didn't watch this, but I'm actually planning to watch it. It's on Shudder. It's called Blood Relatives. Okay. And it's kind of like... A horror comedy? It's a horror comedy. It's about a vampire who meets his daughter he didn't know about, and she's a vampire too. And, oh. And they're Jewish. And, oh, and uh, okay. uh, it's like Jewish vampires. Yeah. But it's also got like a punk rock thing to it because whoever made the movie actually has screeching weasels on the soundtrack oh. because the punk rock band, uh, Screeching Weasels, if uh, some of you may have heard of them, but one of my favorite bands, is actually on the soundtrack, like in the back, in the back of the uh, Blood Relatives movie, like mm-hmm. you can hear their music in the background. Also, when I said ooh earlier to Colin saying that the vampires were Jewish, it's not like out of anything bad. I just, I'm surprised to hear that type of narrative being put into a vampire movie. Well, it's funny too, because not only they were talking about it, they were talking about it in the trailer as kind of like their topic of, uh-huh. of talking about it. See, I'm, I'm finding this fascinating because one of the common tropes of vampirism is that they are, what's the word I'm looking for? They're repellent against any religious icons or symbols. Yeah. And the Jewish community and religion is heavily shrouded with symbols. It would be very, very interesting to see that kind of trope being applied to a vampire uh, yes, movie. Yes, uh, Jewish vampires would be, be a very interesting thing. And, it, and like kosher blood. Uh, it almost sounds contradictory in a way. <laughs> because of how anti-religion vampires tend to be. And then you have... It's probably one of the most religious aspects are out there. But yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Is there anything else... We've watched... I feel like we've watched some movies. This Scream time. 6. Yes! We finally got to watch it. I forgot. How do you forget that? That was like your most anticipated movie. I feel like if it's not watched in theaters, I'm not going to remember it that much. Wow. You... But we did watch it at home. It's now available on Paramount+. When Plus. we found out about it, it was kind of funny how Aaliyah reacted to it. She's like... Oh, it's on Paramount Plus. I know what I'm watching I'm like, after I can work. Finally, watch it. I mean, granted, I would have much, much more preferred watching it in theaters. But yeah, we finally got to watch it. So again, that will be another movie that we will do a much more deep dive review. But I'm gonna give that one some time, only because it's very new, just released on streaming. I can't really expect there to be a whole lot of pre-production or post-production notes that i can add to the discussion you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it was fun though i will say 
I can see why most people actually liked it a little bit more than some of the other sequels. But you said you liked it almost as much as you liked the original. I did say that because it just... When oh, I don't know what it is, but that first one just gave you those feelings of new, you know, mm-hmm. exciting. Like, what is this backwards situation? Like, what? who is the actual killer? When you find out, too, it's just so surprising. I think that was the one thing for me that was a little bit lackluster. And we're not going to talk about it too much now, but I think that was the part for me where once I realized who it was, I was like, oh. Like, I was hoping it would be somebody else. I predicted who it was, and then... I know you predicted and you didn't tell me, which is fine, but I had a prediction based on what was said during the movie about who the potential killer could be, and based on what was said, I was super convinced it was one of the main characters, but I was wrong. And even the narrative of the movie did take that turn just before the main reveal of the Ghostface killers, because there is more than one this time. Again. Again, I'm not going to go too far into it. It's just the reveal of who the killers really were was the one thing where I was just kind of like, oh. Like, really? (laughs) These guys? Yeah, like, I wasn't really that thrilled. It kind of reminded me of Scream 2, honestly. Really? Because I thought it was... The least Scream movie I liked was Scream 3. I didn't like 3 either. Mm. I do love 4. Yeah, four got better. Four was a little bit better than three. I love one. Two was good. Three wasn't so great. Four yeah. got better. Five was really good. And this one topped that one. Yeah. I mean, five killed off Dewey. So we were like... That's why I kind of hated that one, too, because I don't like seeing Dewey go. I know. And it and they kind of referenced Dewey a little bit in this one. So It, it broke kinda, my heart. I know. It was sad. But I mean, you know... We love Dewey. Yeah, please don't die, Dewey. Wait, too late. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, enough of this shit. Let's go into <laughs> Saw 14. Now, this is Spiral. I actually don't even know what Saw movie we're at at this point, because there's so many of them. I thought it was like nine. Or... Yeah, actually, you're right. This would be the ninth Saw film. Ha ha, I'm because, smart. <laughs> because they recently just announced the production of For Saw, Saw 10. 10. Yeah. Which, which I don't even know what that one's going to be about. Which they better not do it. I mean, this is a bad idea because look, you're not fast and the furious. Just let it go. Okay. So before we get into spiral, I did want to address something. I don't think we usually talk a lot about on the podcast, but with most horror movies, there comes real world horrors that are applied to certain story plots. Like in this case, we're going to be talking about a story that has themes of police brutality and police corruption within law enforcement. And that can be a triggering topic for a lot of people. And unfortunately, in the real world, those are real world problems that we deal with all Mm -hmm. over the place. And it happens a lot to real life people. So that being said, that's something that we're going to cover a little bit into this episode. And then another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get into the spiral segment is... Chris Rock being involved in the movie. Now, I know that there's quite a bit of controversy surrounding him right now, especially ever since the Academy Awards slap incident. 
Colin, yeah. what were you, I don't know if we've ever really it's, talked about it. It's not show. really him that he's in trouble or anything. It's Will Smith because he got smacked by him. There's a lot of back and forth about who was really in the wrong here. I feel like they're both in the wrong. Well, yeah, that's what I thought too because one made the one joke and the other one didn't really take the other joke so seriously. So Will Smith had to go into um, her honor and smack the shit out of him. And he shouldn't have done that either because that's why he's not allowed at the Academy Awards anymore. I feel like, because this is, this is my thing. Well, for now, but yeah. Because this is my thing. Outside of horror genres and horror stories, I don't really condone violence in that way. And especially in this scenario where it's a public event, it's being broadcast all over the country, a lot of people are watching. I feel like the joke that Chris Rock made was in poor taste. Despite how I personally feel about Jada Pickensmith, I don't think she's that nice of a person, especially comes with how she treats her marriage with Will. Mm -hmm. But that's besides the point. If somebody is suffering from a medical condition, you don't joke about that. Yeah. And then the way Will Smith handle it, because there's a lot, again, there's a lot back and forth about that too. Some people say that he laughed initially at the joke and then saw that Jada didn't like yeah, it. Jada just looked at him and gave him those eyes and he literally just... And he changed his tune. That's crazy, though. The minute like but she you looked at him, like, it changed. Yeah, but you don't put your hands on somebody. You don't. That's just not... It, yeah, it, it's never a good thing. Once you physically harm somebody, that becomes assault. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. So I don't condone either side being in the right. They're both wrong here. But despite that, just know that Chris Rock is not only the star of the movie, he is also the co-writer of the film as well. Colin's waving Bowie's paws at me, trying to distract me. Knock it off. <laughs> All right, so are you ready to get into Spiral? Yes, please. All right. I know you want to get this over with, but... Please do. So, <laughs> Just kidding, but yes, let's get it over with. So we'll get into Spiral, and then if we have time at the end, maybe we can rank our top five favorite Spiral, or not Spiral, but Saw Traps. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. I do just have one, but I think that's it, but okay. We'll go over at the end. So Spiral was released on May 14th in 2021. It has a runtime of an hour and 33 minutes. It was directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman, who I believe we've mentioned before has directed a number of other Saw films. Mm -hmm. And it was produced by Oren Cools and Mark Berg. I know Oren Cools has also been a producer before in previous Saw films, but I don't know about Mark Berg. Anyway, mm. previous working titles was The Organ Donor. How do you feel about that? I don't know how I feel. Just the organ donor. I know that sounds like a creepy name, but it just doesn't work for this movie. Yeah. So this one is called Spiral, yeah. but the official title is Saw... Or no. The Book of Saw. Spa. Yeah. Spiral. Spa. The, Spiral, the Book of Saw. I cannot talk today. I apologize. It should anyway. be just called Spa. It stars Chris Rock as Detective Zeke Banks, Samuel L. Jackson as Marcus Banks, Marcel Nichols mm. as Captain Angie Garza, and Max Minghella as Detective William Shank. This is Chris Rock's first horror film. He is the second actor to write and star in a soft film. Is it his first horror film? This is. No. Yeah. Hey, come on, really? He Hold had to on. do he had to do more than one. I'm gonna look it up. Hang on. So we took a minute to look it up, and yes, this is his only horror film I'm so far. I'm shocked. I anyway. really am, because I thought he did one, but never mind. So the first actor to do both roles is Lee Whannell, who co-wrote and starred in the first Saw film. 
Rock stated he that he is a big fan of the franchise and pitched his idea for the movie to executives at Lionsgate, which led him to co-writing the film. According to Rock, he was inspired by two movies for Spiral, which was Seven and 48 Hours. Which that makes sense, especially with Seven, because yeah. that's a cop-involved movie, and it's fucking eerie as fuck. Yeah. It's my dad's favorite movie. He loved Seven. He, I, he had it on VHS. I still haven't seen it. Really? I have it on DVD, and I know it's available right now on some streaming services, but I have not watched it yet. Believe it or not, I have not watched it either. I, I know mean, the I know the twist at the end. Though. I mean, the throughout the years, like my dad always watching it and talking about it. I've never seen it with him, which I've seen a lot of films with him. But we should watch that movie together, actually. Sometime. Yeah. Sometime we will. Sometime soon in the future. So Darren Lynn Bozeman was unsettled while filming the first scene with Samuel L. Jackson. He told the actor what to do for a shot, and Jackson said no. And he added that he was going to sit in a different spot instead. Bozeman said, "My butthole puckered." After speaking with a friend who had previously worked with Jackson, he realized the actor was just testing him to see if he was a filmmaker who would stand up for what he wanted, which I feel like that's pretty notable. Yeah, notable, but also it's just like, this means he could have whatever he wants, probably, if he if he let the director, well, if he walks over the director. Yeah, like, because some people will do that. Some, like, and especially, we'll see this a lot, too, between Bozeman and Chris Rock, Chris Rock wants to take a lot of creative direction with this movie, and Bozeman's just like, we don't have the time, we don't have the budget, we gotta worry about the rating aspect of this whole thing, so we can't go too long or too far over budget. Mm -hmm. So, I get those aspects. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what happens with a director, you know, you have to keep things going in order for having the movie finished, you know, before deadline. Yeah. So, Sorry, yeah. I'm trying to make sure my dogs don't. He's fine. Just keep going. But we just look so defeated today. Well, we all are. <laughs> That's what we all feel like every day. We all feel defeated. But we've been going through some like, I don't know if it's like an OCD or an allergy itchy thing, but he's constantly licking his paws. So I've had to put booties on him to get him to stop because it's getting too much. Anyway, uh, the meth dealer is played by a magician named Chris Ramsey, whose YouTube videos helped teach Darren Lynn Bozeman magic tricks. Some pre-production notes I have. Part of the appeal for Darren Lynn Bozeman in returning to the Saw universe was the opportunity to change things up visually. He accomplished this with the help of cinematographer Jordan Oram. Yeah. I was going to say, how did you feel about the cinematography, like the shooting styles of the movie? Uh, just, just seemed fine. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, know. there wasn't really a whole lot of... Wasn't um, really anything exciting or anything intriguing. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of differences between this and the other Saw films. I think one of the biggest differences is that when we are shown the video messages from this Jigsaw killer, it's not the usual Billy the Puppet face that we see. It's a pig mask person with a different distorted sounding voice than of John Kramer's and other... Uh, copycats of his like when i think of cinematography that is really really good i look at something like a clockwork orange for example mm -hmm. stanley kubrick right because he always has those best scenes those moments so when i see something like this it just doesn't seem anything out of the ordinary well it just seems like just ordinary stuff yeah and i've expressed my love for long shots and there really isn't a lot of that here except for one particular scene mm -hmm. i think it's the only scene in the movie that does have a long shot and it's the scene where 
Banks and Shank roll up to the first crime scene in the subway. And from the moment they get out of the car to the moment they get down to the subway tunnel where the body is, it's this one long shot of the two of them talking about marriages. You know, because William Shank is a rookie cop with a new baby, with a young wife. And, you know, they're they're kind of like in the honeymoon sort of phase in life. Mm -hmm. They're still very much in love. They are full of trust in one another. And they just are starting a family together. Whereas Zeke is just getting out of a divorce. uh, Hasn't seen his own kid in a while. And just the stress of being a cop for so many years and having to deal with the stuff that he's been through during his career has made him very resentful and cynical of a lot of things and other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. So, to get into the plot, during a 4th of July parade, off-duty detective Boswick, and I say that hesitantly because it says Marv Boswick on the plot. I thought it was Mark. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe it's Mark. Well, Boswick falls a purse snatcher down a sewer drain pipe where he is attacked from behind by a figure wearing a pig mask. Boswick awakens and finds himself suspended by his tongue in an active subway tunnel and is given a choice via recorded message to either tear out his tongue and live or remain there until the next train arrives and kills him. Unable to escape the trap in time, Boswick is hit by the train and killed. The next day, police captain Angie Garza assigns Detective Zeke Banks a new partner, rookie detective William Shank. Banks and Shank investigate Boswick's death, and Banks realizes the elaborate trap is similar to the M.O. of the now-deceased Jigsaw Killer. Yes? I actually love that their their partner names are Banks and Shanks. Right, Banks and Shank. Like, it <laughs> rhymes, and it's like... It doesn't mean to be funny, but when you think about it, it's just freaking hilarious. There's another, like, name drop reference of another movie that Samuel Jackson's in, which we'll get to later on in the plot, but... Oh, I know what you're talking about. Can I say it? No. Damn. Well, like I said, we'll get there when we get there. But the opening scenes were filmed at a fairground in Toronto where they thought they had permission, but did not. Authorities kicked them out. However, Darren Lynn Bozeman and his team managed to steal these shots. The opening trap was originally written to have fish hooks piercing Detective Boswick's tongue, but Bozeman is a firm believer in having traps that would physically work the way they're suggesting, and fish hooks would have simply shredded the tongue as opposed to ripping it out. He changed it to a vice. Mm. And I remember in one of our previous Saw reviews, I can't remember which movie exactly, but there was a either a blog post or a podcast that had real doctors and surgeons determine the authenticity and realistic aspects of these saw traps. Yeah. And I, I thought it was just so cool. They said next to human centipede, this is the most authentically real, like, medic, like the way these traps are designed mm-hmm. would medically have worked in the way that he had designed them, which I thought yeah. was really cool. Mm. So... Bozeman wanted a subway tunnel, but was told the logistics weren't in the budget. He held his ground, and eventually they built a subway tunnel to meet his needs. It's a tiny set that uses forced perspective to make things look bigger than they actually are. And there's a lot of movies that do this sort of trick, but the one that comes to mind for me is Elf, Mm -hmm. when Will Ferrell's in the North Pole with the other elves. And, I mean, they all use real-life actors, not little people or kids in this movie. So they use a lot of forced perspective 
forced perspective to make him look much more taller than the elves. Mm. Which I thought was cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. One of Bozeman's few disagreements with Rock was about Banks's not being able to recognize his friend's remains. Rock thought he would, but Bozeman felt the body was destroyed to such a degree that it would be impossible. They shot additional dialogue at the scene with Banks commenting on that point, but it was trimmed for time. So back to the plot. Meanwhile, homicide detective Fitch, who holds a grudge against Banks for snitching on crooked cops, is abducted and placed in a trap where he must allow a device to rip his fingers off to avoid electrocution in a basin that is filled up with water. Fitch also fails to escape this and dies, and some officers begin to suspect that Banks may be responsible. Some side notes. Uh, Banks' undercover robbery shot was a single take. But it ran three minutes too long, and since Darlin Bozeman was concerned that the scene would have caused viewers to lose interest, it was trimmed. Hmm. So Bozeman also revealed that he was very angry during the finger-skinning sequence, knowing that they lost so much of it to the whims of the MPAA. You saw every finger, every bone pop, every knuckle snap. Wouldn't that have been cool? It would have been. I mean, the Saw franchises, some of the, most of the Saw films, I feel like, are already pretty gruesome enough. Mm-hmm. And seeing these scenes, like, they are pretty gory. Yeah. But to, to go into that much detail just with the finger trap scene alone would have been much more interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I could see how for Bozeman he would want things a little bit more intense. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So... A box arrives at the station containing... Oh, wait, I forgot one more. I'm sorry. Darren Lynn Bozeman revealed in an interview that he kept the prosthetic fingers used in the film. The fingers were discovered in a bag at the airport, and he had to explain to Customs why there were fingers in his bag. You like stuff like this, though. What? Breaking fingers? No, 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 no. When, when, When people who work on films will take props with them oh yeah i wish especially I could do that. especially when the props are like prosthetic body parts yeah. and they have to explain to people a, in customs a lot, why a lot of actors have taken like props home with them from the movies like thor has taken every mule near hammer there was yeah but that's not something that's gonna cause them to get stopped at customs and be like why do you have this hammer in your luggage? well actually they do check it out and be like "Ooh, can i touch it that's what they do anyway but anyway, go on. A box that arrives at the station containing a pig puppet and a piece of Shanks' tattooed skin inside. A small vial inside the box directs the police to a butcher shop, which was previously a hobby shop that Banks and his father, retired chief Marcus Banks, used to frequent. Upon arriving, the team discovers a tape recorder and a skinned corpse believing to be Shank. Deciding to track down the killer himself, Marcus travels to a warehouse where he is abducted, and shortly afterwards, Angie is kidnapped and placed in a trap in the precinct's cold storage. She has to sever her spinal cord on a blade to stop boiling wax flowing from a pipe and onto her face. Angie fails to do so and dies from her injuries. Moments later, Banks discovers her body. This trap is called the Wax Waterboarding Trap, and it's Bozeman's favorite trap in this film. The police basement vault door is manufactured by a company called Jules and Vincent, which is a reference to the characters played by John Travolta and Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction. I've never watched that movie fully. Me either. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to check it out, but yeah. 
The scene in the church was originally set to be filmed in a basement, but Rock felt it should be filmed in a church instead. He walked Bozeman to a nearby church and said they should film it here. And while the director doubted they would be given access, Rock made it happen. He did the same thing with another scene, moving it from a repeated location to a nearby diner. Thoughts so far? Well, Chris Rock has the power to make scenes and places, locations happen, so that's cool. I'm trying to remember what it's called when you use your celebrity status to get things that you want. I Didn't know there's we, a, I we know, talked about this before. I know, I know there's a word for it, but I'm blanking on the word. Privilege? Well. Privilege. Kinda. He's got. I wouldn't, well. He's got power, he's got that privilege, he's good. So. I don't know. I know there's another word for it, but I don't think it's privilege. Anyway. I think it's privilege. While chasing a lead, Banks is captured and wakes up at the warehouse, handcuffed to a pipe with a hacksaw nearby. He successfully escapes using a loose bobby pin and then discovers his former partner, Peter Dunleavy, who was imprisoned when Banks exposed a murder he committed, chained in place. In front of him is a large glass-crushing machine, which has been modified to hurl shrapnel at him. A tape recorder explains that Banks can choose either to free him or leave Peter to die. Although Banks attempts to save Peter, he cannot get the key in time. Moving to another room, Banks finds that Shank, who is revealed to have faked his own death by using the skinned corpse of the purse snatcher who lured Boswick to the tunnels and has been the copycat all along. He explains that his last name is really Emerson, the son of Charlie Emerson, who was the man Dunleavy murdered. He also reveals that Marcus, during his time as chief, deliberately protected corrupt cops to quote-unquote clean the streets of crime more effectively under Article 8. Believing that Banks can be an ally, Emerson presents him with a final test, revealing Marcus suspended above the floor and slowly being drained of blood. Emerson calls 911 and claims that he is a civilian being pursued by a shooter, resulting in the dispatch of a SWAT team. He hands Banks a revolver and with one cartridge an officer, and offers him the choice to either shoot a target that will save Marcus but allow Emerson to escape or to kill Emerson and let Marcus bleed to death. Banks chooses to shoot the target to save his father, causing the restraints to loosen and lower him to the ground and then begins to fight Emerson. The SWAT team arrives and inadvertently triggers a tripwire causing Marcus's restraints to yank him upward again. The movement reveals a gun affixed to Marcus's arm, leading the SWAT team to mistake him for another shooter, or for the shooter on the 911 call, and kill him. Hmm. Banks screams in despair as Emerson escapes. The killer uses a pig mask to hide their identity, similar to Jigsaw from the previous films in the franchise. Their motives for choosing a pig are different. Jigsaw, a.k.a. John Kramer, wore a pig mask because he started his work in the Chinese year of the pig. The killer in this film uses a pig mask, well, uses a pig as his mask and puppet. The mask paying homage to Jigsaw while the puppet is alluding to the fact that the killer views the police officers as pigs. There was no puppet in the original script, but Bozeman insisted on its return in some form, and the result was Mr. Snuggles in a marionette pig cop. Now, I'm going to go a little bit into detail about that ending, 
because there is a video message that Zeke receives at some point from the police station. And when he plays it, it's at this uh, pit stop location and there's a marionette pig cop in the message, in the video. And the way that he is demonstrated in the video is similar to how Marcus Banks is re-spent, like he's lifted back up when the SWAT team comes in. Yeah. He's got a barrel of a shotgun strapped to his arm and the wires lift his arm up to point at the SWAT team, Mm -hmm. which is similar to how the pig is represented in that video. Oh, that's cool. So it's a very, it's a very interesting parallel. And like I said, it alludes to the notion that cops are pigs. It's been a common phrase used for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it usually goes. But what did you think about this so far? <laughs> I mean, I know it's not the most I'm not, widely received. I'm not a big fan of it, honestly. I'm not saying it because of everyone else, but I'm saying it from even seeing it wasn't a big fan of it and plus also i feel like this wasn't really samuel jackson's best film or either chris's best film yeah and we have talked about it before a bit off record but i know we said when actors or directors or anybody in a specific genre of entertainment whether it be comedy drama action whatever whenever they transition outside of that genre into other things might not go as smoothly as the mm. audience perceives it. I mean, I don't think it's them per se, because I think they do a good job no matter what they do. Right. But honestly, it's just like, I never was a big fan of Saw, so literally them in this movie just seemed kind of off. I think personally it's just that concept, you know, of, like I said, some people are able to do that, like Jordan Peele. He got his start into comedy and then eventually became a director for horror films, and it's interesting to see people go into that route, but I also got to think back to Robin Williams a little bit when he was doing a whole bunch of comedy and very little dramas. And sometimes we become so used to seeing a specific celebrity doing one thing to see them any doing just to see them doing anything outside of that element seems foreign to all of us. The closest he ever has gone to doing horror was when he did two movies, Insomniac, which is like a thriller. It's like a cop thriller. Mm-hmm. And then One Hour Photo. Yeah. And One Hour Photo is fucking freaky. It's a thriller. It is a little weird. He also was in an episode of Law & Order where oh. he played, a, I don't want to say a crank caller because that's not correct, but he was... So there was an episode of Law & Order that Robin Williams was in where he played a man who was calling fast food restaurants and convincing the people on the phone to conduct strip searches on female employees, which was something that was actually happening. That was a real thing. I remember that. Yeah. There's an actual documentary on Netflix about it says don't answer the phone. Yeah. It's a really interesting documentary. I recommend people check it out, but that was the role that Robin Williams played and seemed a little bit weird. And like I said, out of his element and when, like I said, when things like that are presented, they seem very foreign to us. They're not well well received by most audiences. So I, yeah, they I can wish, be challenging. I wish Robin Williams would do more horror films. I I want. I've never seen him do a horror film, and I wish he did. Speaking of which, did he you, would have been he would have been great. At did it. you hear there's this documentary yeah. about him already? Yeah, there's like a few. There's one called Robin Williams's Wish. 
I think his wife put it together. Oh, really? Well, I know the but one talks, before that, yeah. It talks about his... like. So he was actually diagnosed after his death for having, like, Lewy body's dementia, which is the sickness he was dealing with towards the end of his life that was causing him to become forgetful about things, struggling with, you know, motor functions, and it was just causing him to become more depressed and anxious and paranoid and not really understanding what was happening with him. He just, I, I think they kind of probably assumed that he knew that this was only going to get worse, and that's why he went out the way he did. But they talk a little bit more about it. I mean, they talk about his life, his career, his friends, his you know, projects, his movies, and then like his whole life and health thing. So it's a very interesting documentary too. I don't know where it's available on, but it's called Robin Williams's Wish. I'll look it up. But yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about a couple of post-production notes before we wrap this up. Mm-hmm. So in order to secure an R rating, the film had to be submitted to the MPAA 11 times. All other attempts resulted in the rating of NC-7. Oh, yeah. NC-17. Yeah. Oh, yeah. NC-17, right? Yeah, because I was like, there's a there's a 1 in front of that 7. Yeah, because I think a, a rating like that can't be shown in the U.S., right? Um, or anywhere, really. Yeah. I mean, probably outside the countries. I mean, it's fine, but not really like in the United States, even though we've had NC-17 films way back in the day. Yeah. According to director Bozeman, a trap consisting of someone getting their face cut off had to be cut from the film in order for it to receive an R rating from the MPAA. Can you imagine? Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? Again, like... I don't condone violence outside of the horror genre movie thing, but this is like, when when decisions like that are cut from the original film, Mm -hmm. I feel a little disappointed. I know, because it's a movie, you know, sometimes violence is great in it. This last one is one of my personal favorites, because I do enjoy music, and I feel like... Do you? Yeah. I'm kidding. (laughs) You're such an ass. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're such a fucking troll. I love you, though. I love music, and I don't usually focus a lot on the music scores of movies, but the, something about the Hello Zep soundtrack from the Saw movies is just really alluring to me. Charlie Clouser scored all nine films in the Saw franchise. He combined brutal electronics and homemade bowed instru- no, homemade bowed metal instruments with tortured orchestral washes and became landmarks in industrial strength horror and his hello zep became a trademark of the franchise and a minor icon in the world of memorable horror themes and i found out too while researching this film here we go he also composed the theme song for american horror story so any american horror story fans out there who just fucking love that theme song we have Charlie Clouser to thanks. <laughs> OMG. Because <laughs> I've, I've played you the Hello Zep I think that was the only before. thing I liked about it. I've played you the Hello Zep before, but you've heard of the American Horror Story theme song too. <laughs> yes, I have, but it's Hold okay. Hold the fuck up. So I played you a quick recording of the theme song for American Horror Story. I also found out too while pulling that up that Clouser co-wrote it. Mm-hmm. Along with a couple other artists. Oh. But you can definitely hear a little bit of his influence in there in, in comparison to Hello Zep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's really cool, too. Yeah. No, but it does. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything you want to say before we get into the final part, final portion of our episode? What's the final portion? Ranking our top five favorite saw traps. Well, I probably only have just one, but we'll we'll go with this. All right. Let me find my notes. So according to my notes, we have about 77 saw traps in total out of all nine films. And you said you only had one. Yeah. Okay. One do, that I liked. Do you remember which one? It's from the movie Jigsaw. It's with the two guys in the beginning of the movie where they were both dating the same girl, but she didn't tell him that they're that she was dating both of them. How did that trap go? It's like one gets stabbed, the other one, like, as she goes down, she's like... Actually, I'm sorry. It's not Jigsaw. It's Saw 3D, the final Saw, which is such a lie of a title. But it's the public execution trap. Yeah. And its victims are Brad, Ryan, and Dina. Mm-hmm. So Brad and Ryan are strapped to these table saws. They've got to push back and forth at one another for one of them to kill the other. Yeah. Otherwise, they're, the girl that they're both sleeping with, Dina, is lowered onto a much bigger saw in the middle of the pit table if they don't decide who kills the other first. Yeah. Dina, Dina sounds like a name either, that's probably going to die. Either way, one of these bitches is about to die. But I love that she kept trying to t- to egg on the other one, and then they're both like, you know what? Fuck this. Let's both kill her. Yeah, because... And that was the funniest scene ever. Yeah, because by her by her rooting for one of them showed the other guy that she really didn't care for me. She just... First of all, she's self-serving, and her only objective is to save herself. Yeah. Essentially. So... That's your favorite. Is there any other traps that you saw in these movies that you preferred? Um, probably the mask one is always cool. Oh, the reverse bear trap. Yeah. Okay. Because it was so funny when we were watching Charlie, Cha- uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie, lo- uh, Willy Wonka looked like he was wearing um the the trap face. Oh, so. But he was, but it was his braces. So, so so far one is public execution. Yeah. Well, did you hear me? Yes. Okay. You're you're referring to the Tim Burton yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Okay. Yeah. Talking about the the brace face looks like the same thing as the mask he was wearing. Okay. And then your second one is the reverse bear trap. Yes. Is there anything else that you can remember from this series? Uh, the girl, the woman Dina Meyer, who she. Um, was in that trap where basically she like had her ribs taken out? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The angel trap. Yeah, that angel. That ain't no angel. So that trap, uh, she got fucked. That's the angel trap. That's at the beginning of Saw Three, I believe. Because she was in the first two, right? Yeah, she was in the first two. She was probably the long, probably one of the longest lasting characters in that Saw series mm-hmm. until she died. Yeah. And then, is there anything else that you can remember? I know you've seen Saw 2, right? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen the first three in the theaters, yeah. Okay. Do you remember any from Saw 2 that you like? We could go over them a little bit to help you remember. No. Well, the criminal, the criminal guy that killed his friend, so-called friend, that was pretty brutal. I like that. 
uh, first of all, none of those people were friends with one another. I don't know who you're talking about. Well, the, but none of them were friends in that house. Well, the two that worked that were in prison together. They no, they both were in prison, but they weren't in prison together. I thought they were together. No. See, this, this is the concept of Saw Two, right? So Donnie Wahlberg plays a cop with a son who hates him, right? But Donnie Wahlberg's character is known for being a cop who wrongfully convicts people of the most stupidest shit. So all the people that he's arrested for minor crimes that have gotten way more jail time than they deserved Mm -hmm. were all put in this house and were all arrested by him. That's the connection they all share together. Not just the fact that they were in prison. They were all arrested by Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. A.K.A. Eric Matthews. A.K.A. Boy Meets World. Yeah. Will Friedle. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, it was it was an interesting <sighs> installment. Because do you remember any of those that you enjoyed uh, or liked? I, I think the top three I got are fine. I thought you said you liked the death mask scene in the beginning. Uh, the death mask scene? I just, I, I, I mean, I did the trap one. Well, uh, there was a death mask scene where... He had those two clamps. It was like an Iron Maiden head. Yeah, I thought that was the same one as the other one we were talking about. Sort of. So he, this guy had to try to get the lock off. And he had to find the key or the combination or whatever. Okay. And I think the key was actually behind his eye. I think that's how he had to get it off. Oh, that's gross. And he, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't cut out his own eye. So the thing clamped on his head and killed him. Oh, well, I thought you liked that one a lot. Well, yeah, that one's brutal. You could put it down. I don't care. Alright. Alright, that's four. That's four so oh, far. God. Anyway. Um, what did I say that one was called? Uh, the Iron Man or the <laughs> Iron... I don't know. Like Man the Iron Mask type of bullshit. But yeah. Oh my god, these... I'm using an old notebook that's got all these like Something. un organize is there anything else that you remember like even from ones that i've talked about in i don't know if they're my favorite but i don't know okay i'm gonna leave five blank for now and if i when i go over mine and i go through like what i like and whatever you you let me know if any of those pique your interest and i'm back after (laughs) deliberating so well i've picked my top five favorite traps and I also want to preference too, when I refer to the traps in this franchise, I'm not referring to like the booby traps that are meant to keep people away from apprehending the jigsaw killers. I'm talking about the traps that these jigsaw killers subject these people to for one reason or another, whether it be John, John Kramer's theory or Amanda's revenge tale or Mark Hoffman's legacy, whatever it is. I realized that when picking these out, I picked out tests that were designed to actually teach their victims really important lessons. What do you think of my of my thought process? Oh, I don't know. Okay. What's your thought process? So... Actually, just go on with it. And these are not in any specific <laughs> order. I just went through the list chronologically and just checked off which ones appealed to me. So these are by no means like best to worst. These are just chronologically just just put it down my first one is from saw two it's eric's test so detective eric matthews his test is that he just has to sit with john kramer in his flat or whatever you want to call it and just talk 
or listen to what John Kramer has to say. And if he can sit there and talk to him long enough, John Kramer will reveal to Eric Matthews where his son Danny is. At least I believe his name, his son's name is Danny. I think it's Danny. Danny or Daniel or something like that. It's, it's um, something with a Dan on it. So Eric Matthews does fail this test because he becomes incredibly impatient and incredibly brutal towards John Kramer and forces him to tell him where the location of these footage of the nerve gas house, not knowing that these tapes were recorded ahead of time and those people aren't even there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he didn't learn his lesson. He failed the test and it ended up resulting in him being apprehended by Amanda and then shackled into the bathroom from the first Saw film. I mean, it makes sense, but yeah. yeah. That's what he gets. My second favorite is Amanda's test from Saw 3. Now, one of the subplots of this film was that John Kramer wanted to test Amanda to see if she was worthy of carrying on his legacy. Her test was to ensure that no matter what happened, as long as Lynn and Jeff followed the rules of their games and their tests, she had to be able to let them go alive. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She refused to, and she shot Lynn. Mm -hmm. Amanda didn't learn her lesson, because when she shot Lynn, Jeff shot Amanda and resulted in her dying. So she didn't learn anything, and therefore couldn't live on to continue John Kramer's legacy. My third favorite is the Fatal Fives trial from Saw 5. And that that's like essentially all the trials or all the tests for the five people that Mark Hoffman had to watch mm-hmm. go through their tests. Because essentially these were the five people that all had a part in orchestrating the cover-up of a burn building incident that killed eight people. Yeah. Remember? Mm-hmm. And... As the tests go on, and especially right down to the final test, Brie, I believe this girl's name was, realized at the end that all five of them could have survived each test. They didn't need to kill off one another. Yeah. Which is essentially what their instincts told them to do, which is messed up. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a real mind-blowing and eye-opening test. Yeah. And I thought it was very creative. Mm Mm-hmm. My fourth favorite is William Easton's tests from Saw 6. Now, William Easton was the guy who ran the health insurance company that was essentially setting people up to either not receive health insurance or to have their health insurance benefits taken from them in their most critical time of need, which Mm -hmm. resulted in a lot of his clients dying. Mm -hmm. So Mark Hoffman carrying out John Kramer's legacy kidnaps William Easton and some of his employees and subjects them all to go through these tests based on William's decision on who should live and who should die. Exactly. You know, like live or die, the choice is yours. Like Mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's a very, again, another eye-opening experience where this man who heartlessly makes choices on who gets to ensure their rights to live by ensuring that they keep their medical insurances and then by putting two or more of his employees on display and say you have the choice to save one person or yourself versus one person from another person or three out of five people or two or out of five people i can't remember what that third one was but anyway the point is is that it really forced this man to make really critical decisions when the outcome of these people dying was going to be right in his face. 
know what I mean? Yeah. It is a very, like, intense sort of test. Sounds like it. My last one is Bobby's trial from Saw 3D. Bobby was the dipshit who lied about being a jigsaw victim to reap the financial benefits of his 15 minutes of fame, right? Yeah. So when he does this, again, Mark Hoffman, living out John Kramer's legacy, kidnaps him and all the people who had a hand in helping keeping Bobby Charade going. He even kidnaps his wife, who is not knowing of the lie, and punishes her and Bobby in the worst way possible by the end of the whole thing. So it's also one of those things to me where it's like, well, Bobby bragged about, I don't want to say bragged like he gloated, but he essentially put on a show saying, oh, I was a jigsaw survivor, but he wasn't. And so by doing what he did, it essentially put him on John Kramer's radar. But it was a really fun, well, I don't want to say fun, but again, it was another really intense Um, eye-opening. You had it right the first time, fun. (laughs) Fun sounds like the right word for this. Well, because Bobby fails all of these tests. And that was fun. (laughs) Each of them had opportunities. Because here's the thing, again, unless you're running in Amanda's trials or tests or whatever, you have no chance of survival when it comes to her. At least with Mark Hoffman, there is that chance of survival. And hell, like I just said in Saw 5, all five of those people... All had a chance to survive every single test. They didn't need to kill each other off. There's the potential of survival in these tests. And Bobby failed all of them because he never was a jigsaw victim who survived any of these tests. When you get right down to it, how well are your survival survival skills going to kick in when you are put in that sort of situation? Bobby has no game whatsoever when it comes to these tests. One of them even requires to use his upper body strength to keep from one of his workers from getting impaled. Yeah, and it didn't work. Yeah, he couldn't even do that either, dipshit. Mm -hmm. But what do you think? I think you said it best. You said it all. So there's really no opinion for me on this. But yeah, that Bobby dipshit, I'm just glad he died. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, he didn't die. Huh? He didn't die. His wife did. He's so lit. Fuck that guy. You know what? Now I want to kill him. (laughs) Well, think of it this way. He survived and everybody else who worked for him or knew him closely didn't. Even his wife, who had nothing to do with his lies. This makes me want to hate the guy more. Exactly. But he's got to live with the guilt now of knowing that his lies are what caused these people to die. Well, that's what he gets, so... Right. I feel like until Saw 10 comes out, this is a good pause right now for the franchise. Do we have to do Saw 10? We'll have to be back for one more game. They at least announced that Saw 10... I don't know if it's currently in the works right now, but it's it's said to be released sometime in 2025. So we've got a couple years. Good, thank God. So... (laughs) I feel like this is a good pause on the Saw franchise. Mm-hmm. I will say overall, this has become one of my new favorite franchises in the horror genre. Also, speaking of more installments of other ridiculous franchises, did you hear they're coming out with a Final Destination 6? Well, you told me about this. 
Because I'm, I'm, me and a lot of, I've heard a lot of other people on the internet say, like, what else could you do with the Final Destination franchise that you haven't already done? You've already subjected an entire generation of people to be very leery of log hauling trucks. What more are you going to, like, do to traumatize people who haven't actually been subjected to these sorts of, like, freak incidents well i just thought there was more than more than six of these but i guess there's only just been six no there's five so far there's only been five a lot of people are speculating that this one's gonna take place on a cruise ship well it's been everywhere else so might as well be on a cruise ship i'm sorry you want to know what would be the ultimate final destination six if you come to find out that the fucking cruise ship with the titanic and people like a group of people just narrowly managed to evade getting on the boat well it's funny because there have been some actual real life people who were said to go on that boat and didn't for one reason or another okay so i was trying to say something but i was rudely interrupted look who's talking look who's talking so there was a video i saw because you said titanic there was a video i saw of the giant blow up uh balloon ride a titanic that kids go down oh yeah you're talking about like the the fucking carnival yeah 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 where the kids go up the thing and down and like the thing and someone wrote on there like this is not cool like people died on this and you're sliding down this ride that looks like the titanic so yeah she's that high sweet girl i bet you betcha i thought the cups were very elite and colin (laughs) i love them yeah our friend alicia gave us some really cool stuff for our house yeah it's very gothic noir and i love them yep and (laughs) we appreciate that from her so thank you alicia so she gave us these tumbler glass cups that are shaped like skulls with little handles on them and it says uh on their high cancun so ryan looked at me he was like at least you could say you've been to cancun now and i'm like i'm like but i haven't in spirit (laughs) In spirit, but... You can say in spirit. I really want to go to Cancun. I've never been there. I would like to... Go to a hypnotherapist. Have him put you under. Kiss my ass. Have them them whisk you away to a tropical paradise. Eat my butt. Anyway. Anyway, so that has been another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Good thing we don't have to do one of these solve ones for the next couple of years. This has been a fun episode. Of the Abbey Normal Podcast. Yes, and I am your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying no more games. Okay. For now. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.